0: Hi everyone and welcome to chapter 8 of the podcast. Those of you who have tuned in for my previous episodes, I hope you've been enjoying them so far and those who have just tuned in for this particular episode, hello and welcome. In this episode I'm in conversation with two psychiatrists, Samina and Muttazar. Together we try and decipher the cracks in knowledge about mental health that the South Asian community in the UK may have. Just as a pre-warning, if you're looking for something a little lighter, please tune in to one of my other episodes. As for the rest of you, I hope you find this conversation both educational and enjoyable. Hi Shazad, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you?
1: I am good. Uh, a bit sad it's the end of the bank holiday weekend. I'm back to work tomorrow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Same, aren't we all? I mean, it's been such a lovely, it's, we've had such lovely Definitely. weather, haven't we?
1: Yeah, it's been glorious.
0: Yeah, what have you been doing this bank holiday weekend?
1: So sadly, I've got a sick baby, so I've been oh. looking after him, so that's not great. But we have managed to go for a walk in the park today and eat some ice cream, so um,
0: I can't complain oh nice nice so And what, what about you Tizzo? what have you been up to this weekend
2: yeah just um been enjoying enjoying the sun really you know going for like i said just going for walk, catching up with with family really
0: yeah a yeah. lot of catching
2: up to do as you can imagine <laughs>
0: absolutely i've been so excited about hosting this it's been a long time coming and when i actually started mm. this podcast this was one of the episodes that I had in mind. Um, So thank you both for, you know, taking time out of your day to to just be on this episode. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to ask you, um, Samina Bhaji, obviously I know you, just to give the audience a little bit of context, um, Samina Bhaji was my uh, neighbor. And she, yes. actually, <laughs> she actually inspired me to go down the clinical route and to go down into drug development and and whatnot. So I've never actually heard your story and your side as to why you chose to do psychiatry um, and medicine. So why don't you let us know? So I, um from a young age was really fascinated by
1: science and I remember being you know about young as eight nine years old and I used to have this teacher called Mr Ali and be fascinated by dissecting like mice and pigs hearts and you know I used to think oh I want to you know I want to be him and I wanted to be him (laughs) I didn't want to be a doctor but I just wanted to be as good as him but I think he was some kind he had a PhD so he was called Dr Ali oh yeah so uh, that inspired me a lot and then as I was growing up, you know, I was from quite a traditional background where women were never encouraged to study. So that was a bit of a barrier. Mm-hmm. But when I grew um, over 18, I decided that, you know, I definitely wanted to be a doctor and I had to go um, educationally. I had to go back and you know, redo all my um, qualifications uh, and then took the stance and went to um, follow my dream of being a doctor. And then yeah. I went to Cardiff University did my degree in medicine and then whilst I was there I developed quite a passion for psychiatry um, Mm -hmm. and psychology and so I ended up doing an extra uh, year to do uh, a degree in psychology health psychology and and then following completion of my foundation training I chose to train as a psychiatrist which is what I'm doing at the moment
0: and really love. Oh great great and what do you think sparked that interest in particular in psychiatry?
1: when i was younger i think i always felt like i could almost um understand what people were going through whether they were friends whether they were family and i always felt i was really good at listening to people i definitely yeah. wasn't the talker i was more of the listener yeah. and it always fascinated me how everybody even if they were in the same family had their own story mm-hmm. um and i would try to like decipher what was happening and i took a real interest in people's lives and then when i was exposed to like clinical medicine and I really enjoyed it but it felt a bit repetitive to me whether when you speak to um, people everybody has a different story but Mm -hmm. to me everybody had the same heart so how many problems can you get with the heart you know eventually you'll start to see the same thing every day but when you spoke to people everybody could tell you a different story and that to me was the thing that got me interested in psychiatry and then and um, once I started my training, that just cemented it and I've
0: never looked back. Oh, amazing. Amazing. And what about you, Matizel? What do you think started your or sparked your interest in medicine?
2: So um, I am a bit, a bit like um, Samina, really. Um, I was quite good. I would like to think I was quite good. At school um yeah. quite good with my sciences and um was generally ahead of the class in, in many ways because I took a, a great fascination in the human body really and biology especially because you mm-hmm. know it's something that I could visualize and see for example plants growing and why they would grow and you know um geotropism and phototropism and It was kind of, you know, led from there, really. And I think from a young age, my father always wanted me to to be a doctor. And it's quite a stereotypical Asian (laughs) dad, you know, who wanted his son to be a a, a doctor. Um,
0: Yeah,
2: kind of stuck with him in many ways. I actually found a longer route. I ended up training as a teacher to start with. So I had two different chapters in life you could look at it you know the first one was actually becoming a doctor so um, originally I became a teacher I taught uh, maths and science at a, a wonderful school I I enjoyed being around you know my students mm-hmm. and slowly I found my way into into medicine because I was still young I still thought you know I've still got this opportunity my grades were brilliant I ended up applying so I live in Bradford but ended yeah. up applying to Leeds Medical School and they gave me an unconditional offer because you know, I suppose oh, my grades met everything and there was no condition required from them. They just said, look, if you want, just come in September and just study with us. And uh, that was during the Olympics as well, Olympics 2020. And I just remember thinking, this is going to be my last peaceful Olympics, <laughs> my last peaceful time that I'm going to actually be watching TV. And the next five years are going to be quite chaotic. I had a, a young, young family at the time, a son yeah. and a daughter, and I knew I was gonna. It was gonna be really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. But I think the first time I think I still really started really thinking about mental health, living up in Bradford, was a couple of things. I mean, the first one was like drug-induced condition psychosis and things like that. I saw quite a few of my friends and people in the area, you know, um, kind of you know behaving in unusual ways, which I didn't really understand at the mm-hmm. time. And we always think it's it's some kind of possession. Uh, yeah. of some kind of wicked spirit and someone's done some black magic on it and that was my yeah. take on it as well I didn't really understand what was going on with them right I didn't okay. understand this was part of schizophrenia or psychosis or you know what was going on
0: yeah and just to I explain just had, explain to the audience what exactly um did you mean do you mean by black magic
2: um so you know obviously in our community we, we believe that you know people can sometimes envy each other or you know mm-hmm. have a certain type of enmity towards each other it can mm-hmm. either be because you know that maybe maybe they're trying to you know it became, is it marital or is it just pure jealousy you know yeah. where they want to take you know um, a on someone so what they do is they kind of either ask people um, who are supposedly you know have, have have these kind of spiritual realm or experiencing this spiritual realm to read things and to kind of you know almost like cast spells on them that are going to right. make them ill or make them think in, in certain ways so you know that certainly exists quite quite a lot in our community mm-hmm.
1: um, but just coming we get to the- flyers for them people we've oh. actually got flyers through our door for like people who- no way really yeah. Yeah, honestly in Huddersfield that's where <clears> I live um we actually get flyers through the door it's really worrying but like I don't know if anybody regulates these people but yeah so oh, it's wow. quite uh, easy to yeah, get hold of
2: them it's, it's an easy fix isn't it you know if you're to get rich you know just just call me you know oh
0: my pay a little
2: bit of money and you know everything's done people like like shortcuts you know and, and that's that's why they so they can pull people in so easily
0: yeah um,
2: but shaz if you don't mind i'm just gonna just the last point i was gonna make during mm-hmm. during my teaching actually i had a very young um student of mine who took his life uh, so and he was you know as a student who was doing really well excelling it was only about 14 15 at the time It was yeah. a lovely lovely child I got on really well with him the whole class I got on really well with him and he actually took his life and I think that really really hit me hard and I think when I became a doctor I, I didn't have this stigma attached at that at that point in time like mental health meant so much to me because yeah. I even till today I would like to like to think and you know like to like decipher what was going through his mind what was he thinking was any body language that I missed out and things like that I think that once I did become a doctor I think that's what led me down to what more towards psychiatry and appreciation of it
0: yeah yeah definitely and I'm so sorry to hear about that boy and I'm sure that's you've you've definitely developed a personal attachment as to the reason why you chose to go down the psychiatric route and uh, it seems like you both um, went down a non-conventional route to get here, so that's amazing. I'm sure there was a lot of mental pressures associated with that as well. Um, But going back to um, the idea of beliefs within the Asian community about why certain people are the way they are, what's your take on the mental health in the Asian community? And so what I mean by that is, what experiences have you come across where you've had to deal with an Asian patient and how has that been different to dealing with a patient who wasn't Asian?
1: Um, I think in non-Asian people, I broadly speak about Caucasian people because they're the majority of people we see. Although there is some stigma amongst, I would say the older generation, generally amongst younger people, um, the stigma has reduced significantly particularly Mm -hmm. over the last 10 years. So -hmm. they're more open about coming to the GPs, going to see specialists, getting Mm -hmm. psychological therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, They can talk about it with their friends and their friends won't be judgmental. Often their family members know um, where in contrast we see very few Asian people or particularly where I work we see very few Asian people come to secondary mental health services so obviously your primary mental health first port of contact is your GP yeah. um, and then you could be referred on to a psychiatrist or psychology in that secondary care we don't see many Asian people mm-hmm. if we do they're often at the severe end of the spectrum. So often they've, uh, for instance, if they're depressed, they're often suicidal and not wanting yeah. to be here. And they've often, once you take a history, you mm-hmm. find that they've been living with this condition for many years. And now it's got to the point where the family are unable to manage this. And they're at the end where, you know, you have to hospitalise them. Mm-hmm. And I suspect, you know, that's probably due to, th- there's still a lot of shame, attached to having mental health problems and yeah. talking about them and um, we don't talk about them and in Asian families um, and I'm sure we're all aware that we tend not to discuss anything that is um, a bit um, controversial yeah.
0: you know oh we, yeah
1: we, you know and mental health is one of them things and mm-hmm. our generation of parents probably won't understand what it means to have a mental health problem so it, it's it's really very difficult and it's very very different and and I remember one of um, when I was working in um, children's services yeah there was this young boy that I met and he was about 11 yeah and he was from a Pakistani family and his mum was um, a single mum and you know she had divorced from the father Mm -hmm. and this boy had a condition um and it affected his day-to-day life so he felt a bit different not a mental health but like a physical health condition which means he needed um he was he couldn't do what all the children could do
0: yeah
1: and he said to me one day he said i said to him do you speak to anybody in your family and he said to me no my mom's busy she's working and every time i tell her that i feel really depressed and i want to kill myself she just says to me you know um just pray to allah and Allah will help you, uh, but he said, "I just don't believe that Allah will help me anymore. Yeah. I rather die."
0: Yeah.
1: And honestly, I felt so helpless. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, Allah will help you, but you know, as a as a parent, and and as a health professional, we needed to help this boy because he was so young, and he he just wanted he rather not be here, um, and and suffer. Uh, and, and go against what his, you know, religious belief were. And it was really, really sad. But, mm-hmm. you know, even at that level, at that age, there was so much stigma, stigma for that young boy um, yeah. to talk about his feelings. I think yeah. as, as a community, we definitely need to evolve and talk more about these things. Uh, I definitely. Mean, definitely. I don't definitely. know what your experiences are, Murtaza.
2: Yeah, um, I mean you know one of them that that really comes to comes to mind is um prior to um getting into med school um we have mandatory work experience that we need to do you know one of them's in, for example in the hospital the other one will be in a nursing home yeah one of the ones that i managed to kind of pick out at the time you know um it's actually going back before um 2012 was um, an organization that they called media Yardin, which basically means my memories um Mm -hmm. it was an 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 organization which kind of totally voluntary based um, which kind of looked at Asian communities. And, you know, we appreciate and we love our parents and and grandparents. Um, And what we noted was that we just didn't understand that they were, for example, you know, going through the phase of life where yes, their heart's given up and they've got heart failure and they've probably Mm -hmm. had a triple bypass after having, you know, to myocardial infarctions, and they've probably mm-hmm. got some kind of respiratory interstitial lung disease. We kind of understand that. Yes, their lungs are not well, their hearts not well, their kidneys are giving up on them. But we just didn't understand that their mind was giving up on them. And these, uh, you know, elderly um, loved ones were kind of kept in their rooms. So you know, when a family member comes, rather than stimulating their minds and getting them to go out and do certain activities and trying to get them to partake, because that's what dementia is. Dementia is not just loss of the memory. It's actually loss of the personality. It's loss of the sleep cycle. It's, it's depression. It's, it's, so there's all sorts of um, psychopathological, you know, um, conditions that are going on in the mind. You know, they'll become paranoid. There's mm-hmm. certain in- inhibitory mechanisms that, that break down. And these elderly people were just being kept in their in their bedrooms. You know, you could actually go with the family and say, you know, where's so-and-so? You know, where's your granddad, for example? Where's your father? Was your elderly father? They're upstairs in the bedroom. God knows how long they've been there. You know, family mm-hmm. members come, they'll avoid the family just because it's embarrassing for them because their dementing father or or grandfather will end up saying something that's quite embarrassing for them just because they're not well. And I think it was really, really, obviously, really sad to see. And it wasn't because they were trying to be cruel. What they were Mm -hmm. doing was certainly not nice, but it wasn't because they were trying to be cruel. It's just because they did not understand what was happening. And I, I totally agree with Samina on that point that as an Asian community, especially the younger generation, we need to start coming out of this, ignorance now you know we need to start mm. understanding mental health appreciating mental health and we should be i believe in many ways fall runners you know uh, in, in in breaking down the the stigmas uh, for mental and mental health and you know, we have so many psychiatrists from the bame community and i think yeah. you know we, this is where we need to really reach out now and, and say okay you know these are this is what's going on and you know and hopefully you know, educate people in our in our community really
0: yeah, definitely. Definitely. And also just speaking as a lay person, um, I can say that I was one of them. I was one of those people yeah. that had a um, a stigma against the whole idea of getting therapy and the whole idea of getting counselling until when I um, suffered really deeply from anxiety at my A-level time when I went to university. I actually opted for university counselling and it worked wonders. Sometimes talking to someone and just letting out your thoughts yes. and developing also working together with them to develop the tools to manage those emotions and manage those thought overwhelming thoughts can go a long way and I think that's what we're missing in our community we're not shining light enough on mental health in a way where we're shoving it underneath the carpet and so something that something as small as therapy could really help in that direction but because we've shoved it underneath the carpet if not if any way amplifies the situation and makes it a lot more worse than it could have been or actually is. Um, So what would you say from the cases that you've both come across, what would you say are the main mental illnesses that form within the British Asian community? Um,
1: I think we have probably depression is very high mm-hmm. uh, particularly uh, amongst I guess young women yeah. um, and, and I guess there's a bit of a gender divide as well so we know that men tend not to go to GPs or um, seek care where women do so we do see probably more women generally. Right. Okay. Um, and why do you well, think that is? I think traditionally obviously there's whether they're Asian or not um, there's always been that traditional you know men mentality where you know we're just going to get on with it and maybe 50 to 70 years ago even when they were physically unwell, they never went to their doctor Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that just mental health is something so far-fetched for them and that they couldn't even imagine there being something wrong and and some of the elderly Caucasian men that I come across even now um, will talk about their symptoms in a physical manner so they will never acknowledge that say for instance they've got anxiety they'll say oh no I've got heart palpitations and that's what's causing all my problems so I think it's the way they um that generation of people thought like that Um, the younger generation of men is is much better but -hmm. we still don't see um as many as um women we see but hopefully that's changing I think we see we see quite a bit of depression mm-hmm. Um, we see anxiety definitely we often will see things like eating disorders not as commonly but we do see them in young people so something yeah. like anorexia mm-hmm. nervosa um, and we we do see sadly in the young people we do see a lot of drug-induced conditions so drug-induced psychosis it's, it's basically when they kind of lose touch of reality and start believing and seeing things which aren't real um, yeah. so we do see that in our young boys and um, particularly in areas such as Sheffield uh, Motors are probably knows in Bradford as well mm-hmm. uh, where there are drug problems and um, so
0: yeah
1: yeah so they're, they're the kind of things we see we do see a bit of dementia so that's when somebody's lost their memory and um, not as commonly because I assume within Asian families we tend to look after our elderly so mm-hmm. if somebody has memory impairment they often don't come into secondary services we don't see them because they're managed in some cases as Murtaza commented you know they put them into a separate room and definitely I've um, had my own patient where she used to be locked in the attic Oh, and wow. she was an elderly lady and yeah. I used to go and see her and she would be ha- locked in the attic because the family were too embarrassed for her to come down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suspect there's probably a lot of people like her and um, that we don't that don't come to um, see us in uh, secondary services, memory services, really. And that's really sad because we can give them some treatment. We can give lots of help. So that's definitely something that's uh, more noticeable now. And we do see a bit more people coming with more awareness. We are seeing more people.
0: Yeah, and what so what's your experience
1: been?
2: Yeah, I mean just just building up on that, I think um, building up on the on the stereotypes that that really exist. I mean, if you th- just thinking thinking about it, you know, uh, one of the reasons why young women probably there's a certain reluctancy is because if she was to say, so we just have one umbrella term, you know, we don't have you know depression, we don't have bipolar, we don't have psychosis, or right you know, we, we just have bagel, that's it, bagel yeah. meaning, you know, this person's mental, literally mm-hmm. that's all it yeah. is, and that's a really derogatory, stereotypical mm-hmm. term that's used in the Asian community, that, you know, if they if they ever want to uh, you know, say something quite nasty to you, you know, they don't even need to swear to you, they just need to call you bagel, and, yeah. and if you think about a young woman, or a family who has a, a young, young daughter, or a sister, who say, for example, is suffering with depression, and she really needs help you know i, I totally yeah. agree with samina you know they will present at latter stages at stages where they are you know mm-hmm. really difficult to manage now
0: mm-hmm. whereas
2: early intervention early help could have made them so much better but the reason one of the reasons why they won't do that is because once she gets labeled with this you know this 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 mental health this bargled person um she, she becomes very very difficult for her to for example find so, find a household or will take a, a you know in, in marriage for example
0: and yeah. many
2: in, in, in many ways are, are very sim- similar we we uh, you know we like to be the alpha males we like to be the breadwinners and yeah. having a mental health problem then you know uh, emasculates in many ways where you're no longer going to be able to go out and get a job and hold a job down and you know be a, basically be the, be the breadwinner for the yeah. family so again it emasculates it takes you away from your role so you will see people presenting like I said you know a, very late on um and sometimes you know mental health is one of those things where it will surge it will bring itself out yeah. you know I'm drug-induced psycho. i live in bradford and i did so during med school i did a lot of my experience in linfield mount so linfield mount is very well known um, yeah. for you know an inpatient psychiatric unit and i just saw people I actually recognized that was the hardest thing
0: Oh, i can imagine
2: see. these were people i recognized i mean I mean one of them that really sticks out in my mind was um, the younger brother of, of a friend I used to have he was yeah. married he, he had a wife uh, a, young, a couple of young children and he had absolutely no idea what he was doing there had absolutely no insight his physical health was being impacted because of his mental health and it all started from a drug induced psychosis so he mm-hmm. was you know um, consuming you know uh, illicit substances and it was really sad to see him in that state and and, and sadly yeah. for him you know he'll have that stigma attached to him you know when he goes back into the community people will look at him as the as the battle. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No definitely and I think um, just to rewind a little bit about the whole topic of marriage and the whole topic of you know shoving things underneath the carpet Um, that there have been cases where what I've known when I was at Bradford University was that there were cases where girls would come to university counselling because they were being sexually abused by Um, a close family member whether that have been an uncle or a cousin or somebody that were regularly coming to the house and they were scared to tell anyone because one it's the whole idea of in the Asian community preserving um, your virginity to remain pure before you 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 get married another thing it's you know it'll bring shame on the family if this goes out to the public and normally the light um on that is is that the woman gets tainted even though she was not actually when really the victim is the, is the victim, but really it's the person who actually did the bad deed. They, they they kind of get away with it. So I've seen a couple of cases where that's caused an absolute decline in that young girl's mental health. And then she's ended up in um, looking for mental aid, but then not able to get it because her family don't want her to get that external help because they feel like somebody else might know about it. So what I'm trying to um, shine light on is that some people don't go to therapy because they're worried that so-and-so might not so-and-so and any information that they divulge will not be confidential and it will be exposed to the community. Um, so that's one thing that I, I've come across uh, through being at Bradford University. I mean, what are your experiences? Just some people refuse treatment? Um, what has been the scenario with that? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, a
1: lot of the time, one of the things that we make sure when we go to see somebody from an Asian background is that we have to repeatedly tell them whatever is said in this room is confidential. Yeah. And often they're hiding things from, like, say, another family member. So the husband might be not telling the wife things, and the wife doesn't want the husband to know. It makes it quite tricky. So we have to ensure that they're aware that things are confidential mm-hmm. however some things we can't control we can't control people coming in and out of the house so a neighbors might see and, and as we know um, Asian people we tend to live in communities you know we tend to all congregate and live in the same area and the word yeah. gets out really fast if somebody, somebody's noticed that nurses are going to, to a house or somebody's you know doctors are coming into this house more than um usual um so there is that that people will not want that happening and i have had it where people have said to me a is it confidential uh and b you know if the person is a receptionist who they might know from some far family friend or something they'll be like oh well so and so works in your practice you'll find out so it's really quite difficult for them to accept care um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they're always worried about the consequences and how other people might find out Um, and and that makes it a lot difficult for them to to accept care I think that's one of the issues so sometimes they get to us but accepting care becomes a problem or they tend to um give up quite easily uh, because Mm -hmm. often they may have had you know uh, a chat with the family Mm -hmm. or the family I said oh you don't need this we'll take you to the beer or we'll take you to um x y and z I mean I recently saw a lady who um told me that she you know she's mid-70s and she told me that she had been depressed for quite some time and that she spent most of the pandemic crying Mm um and not eating, really, really, really severely depressed. Um, And as she was leaving, her son turned, she came with her son and her son turned around and said to me, you need to help my mum because if you say you're not going to help her, my family and the extended family want to take her to a beer and I need to avoid that. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, And I had to reassure him and say to him, look, we will make sure your mum gets the help. Yeah. and and you know it was, it was really quite sad to hear that actually even if the children accept it as an extended family you know and he was telling me how he was going to have to go back and explain to everybody that this isn't uh or this isn't a black magic this is actually a mental health problem yeah um so it is it is a massive thing you know accepting there's just there's so much stigma um I don't even think you know we've we've even reached the height of it yet you know it's not been addressed at all because we don't talk about it at all I mean have you know you as a lay person Shazad yeah who do when you were going through that were you able to
0: talk about it to people I mean I felt ashamed to I felt felt ashamed to when I was suffering from anxiety I felt embarrassed and I felt like I shouldn't you know there's something wrong with me because I can't handle what's going on in my life Mm. Uh, but but then I realized later on that it's actually okay to talk to people about it. And that's when I opened up to my mom, I opened up to my dad. And the more I opened up about it, and I hope people who are listening can resonate with this, the more I felt at ease, because Mm. the more you talk about it, the more you realize that other people feel exactly the same way, but everybody just deals with it in different ways. And that's, that's fine. It's just, but it's important to talk about it and not to suppress it, whatever it may be, however embarrassing it may be, whether it's something that you're going through, whether it's something someone's done to you, it's really important to talk about it.
1: Definitely. I agree. And, and one thing I have noticed that since, becoming a psychiatrist and training as a psychiatrist I cannot tell you how many people or people's relatives or friend of a friend will contact me to get objective and confidential advice it's just soared, particularly over the pandemic
0: yeah
1: uh, because I mean instead of going to their doctor they rather speak to like me about it Mm -hmm. Um, and that that has definitely increased and that's generally the Asian population you see so all my Asian Um, friends or their relatives will seek advice from me but it's almost done in a way where you know actually we'll speak to Sam because we don't really know her she doesn't live in the same city she'll give us this information and you know then we'll see where we go with it Um, so if anything
0: there's some sort of like security blanket there because you won't be associated with the people that they associate with with within their within their community kind of thing exactly yeah
1: yeah so I've definitely noticed that um so they do try and seek help but it's in the most um uh, hushed way possible
0: right okay okay and what's your experience been have you have you experienced people where they've tried to mask what they're really going through or they've uh, somehow reached out to you because you you're not in their talking circle or community circle I think
2: in the Asian community we like to have honor honor is a wonderful thing but honor should not come at the expense of our loved ones suffering Mm -hmm. so we like to be these ideal families you know where if anything happens in the family it kind of you know taints our honor taints the family name and so forth and that can become like almost like pathological behavior almost um i've got this is quite recent actually this is probably going back within within the last year or so um, I have someone within the na- neighborhood who, um, whose son sadly kind of got, um, induced into, um, using, uh, cannabinoids. and, um, certain people are predisposed you know, to, to, to becoming quite unwell and, and, yeah. and psychotic through, through, you know, the use of the, of, of this drug mm-hmm. and his, so he called me over and he said, no, my, my son is behaving really unusually. And he, he knew I was a doctor. He did not mm-hmm. realize that, you know, obviously I'm a, a mental health doctor because at the Time I wasn't training as a, a psychiatrist. Yeah. Um, and he's, you know, he's kind of the way he the way he started to de- describe things, you know, I had to ask him a lot more questions. And so bear in mind he's seeing me knowing that I'm a doctor. But at the same time, we had a lot of mutual respect for each other. I really love this uncle, really get on really well with him. And knowing that he's, he's going through so much. And I realized how distressed and upset he was about this, and how how upset his wife was about this. And, and yeah. you know, it was breaking his marriage down and everything. And I remember really emphasizing, saying, "Look, your son is unwell. He's mm-hmm. going to become really unwell. You know, at the moment he still has some insight. He's going through a phase, which you know, which is in between reality and unreality. You know, between, I uh, mean, you know, having insight and between a full, full psychotic state." And I said, yeah. "Look, here's the number. I am, I am not your doctor. You know, there's only a certain amount I can do for you. I yeah. can't write out any medications for him. You know, but." As a matter of urgency, I left him the crisis team's number in the mental health uh, com- in, in the community, mm-hmm. and I said, "Get get in touch with them and get in touch with them now." Um, and I, I left him a lot of other information as well. Um, and I said, "Look, you know, do mention these things for him to them. Mention that you know he is now hearing voices, responding to voices. Yeah. He's got quite delusional thoughts, and you know these are going to get a lot worse and a lot more profound to the point where he's got some insight, he's going to lose that." Mm-hmm. Anyway, lo, lo, lo and behold, a few weeks later, um, I saw his son just running up and down the street, screaming, shouting, responding to un- unseen stimuli. Mm. Uh, really dangerous getting into his yeah. car as well and um, really stop, stopping in the middle of the street and just sh- screaming and shouting at something that he was visualizing as well. He was really unwell. And yeah. I had to go to him again and say, you know, have you done this? You know, did you actually do this? Did he ask, did he actually do what I asked you to do? And it took it took a good few it had it the really the, the 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 monster had to really, you know, it's almost like they try to hide everything to yeah. a point where it actually came out and it became really embarrassing from the for the family in the end, you know, mm. because originally it was in the home and then all of a sudden now it's uh on the street, about yeah. it. And it was really sad because I think it just again symbolizes really that, you know, early intervention, you know, it's not embarrassing. We are human beings, you know, uh, these a lot of these things are common and, you know, it, it, this isn't uh, genuinely an illness, you know, just like what the kind of physical illnesses, We're not embarrassed to go see the doctors for diabetes and, and things like that. It is a physical illness and, you know, we do need to get early intervention before it becomes we don't need to suffer in silence we don't need to get to the point where the whole family is suffering and trying to figure out what is going on before we actually ask, ask yeah. for some professional help and they've got some professional help and things did improve so much
0: good yeah so i don't know if you agree with me but from what i see the root of the problem lies with a lack of knowledge and a oh. lack of education now you both as as medical health professionals do you feel like it it's too late for the older generations to understand mental health or do you think there's some hope there where we can somewhat come up with some tools or a way of making them understand what mental health actually is about? On a
1: society level, Asian and non-Asian included, I think there has been um, challenges with people accepting mental health conditions exist. Yeah. I think That has probably changed amongst non-Asian people and overall it's been much better Uh, and the younger generation is more um, uh, mindful Mm. and accepts that mental health conditions exist. Mm -hmm. In the elder generation, there still is some stigma and some shame about admitting that they're going through a difficult time. And education or no education for them. So I, I, sometimes I think it doesn't matter how much educational attainment you have. That might not change the way you feel because, as a society, we've been kind of raised to in that way. Um, because I mean, amongst doctors, um, yeah there's still a big stigma about doing psychiatry becoming a doctor in mental health a lot oh, right. of the time when I was in training people would say to me why are you interested in psychiatry and also why would you waste your time becoming a psychiatrist and that was from colleagues and and senior oh, wow. doctors around me so you know these guys and, and, and ladies they're all very educated but yet they still had that stigma about mental health
0: so even the, though so we, the doctors were discouraging the students yeah, almost to going going down the psychiatric group
1: yeah yeah so and, and historically if you look back at psychiat people training a doctor's training to be psychiatrists yeah. the numbers have always, always been very very low because you were never encouraged to become a doctor in psychiatry. It's only now I think where we reached a point maybe over the last couple of years where there's been a hundred percent fill rate for the applications to become a psychiatrist. So people are now um, applying. But before that never used to happen because when I was training, there was no encouragement. Yeah. Um, you were almost put off becoming a psychiatrist. So you had to almost be quite strong and they actually know, um, you know this is what I want to do because nobody ever supported you uh, in choosing that career.
0: See, I find that really scary because the person you go to when you have a mental health condition is the doctor. And the fact that there's a lot of people out there who are in the medical health profession that don't respect the idea of mental health is really shocking. And it it really worries me. It makes me think that that's partially the root of the problem.
1: I think because society has always, you know, like, you know, we, to class these people as boggle but you know in in western society people are called crazy or yeah. they've got some screws are loose you know and that you know you and sometimes when you hear about people with mental health problems they've always put these crazy headlines in the daily mail and you know they've got that stigma associated with it thankfully that's now evolved a little and we're much better at recognizing these things and how words are used inappropriately in headlines yeah. and um you know mental health is common and it is
0: really important amongst any age um i think think sorry do you you think the pandemic has actually like catalyzed the um education behind mental health so do you think people are are paying more attention to mental health because they're more of us are experiencing a mental health conditioning during like the, the pandemic
1: yeah i think that it's definitely helped in a way um but I think it probably started even before that, where right, people okay. started to recognise. And I think celebrities talking about their mental health, yeah. the royals getting involved in mental health, that's mm. probably helped. So for the younger generation, that's become a bit, they've become a bit more aware uh, yeah. and we're able to talk about it to each other. Um, whether that translates into... The Asian generation talking about it. I don't know, you might be better, Shazad, at knowing this because you're much younger than I am. I don't know if that, you know, when you were at university, did people talk about their mental health or whether if they were going through a difficult time?
0: Um, I'd say, I think now, because I use social media and I'm on Instagram quite a lot, I've noticed that a lot of um, like British Asians and Asians from all over the world, my age are creating you know these TikTok videos and they're creating videos about raising awareness about mental health and they've kind of done these um these quick snapshot videos where they've showed well if you've got an, a physical ailment you'll go to the doctor if mm. you've got toothache you'll go to the dentist why isn't it that you've got overwhelming thoughts you should go see a therapist and they're kind of trying to normalize it in that way um, yeah. so I think my generation are actually doing a very good job in raising awareness about mental health um but my concern is the generation before us in the generation before that like what do you think we can do to educate them on mental health
1: i think there needs definitely needs to be more awareness on like tv shows so we know our asian community they love watching their um hum tv or their europe or geo tv and things like that you know they're really great places to talk about mental health yeah Um, you know our scholars, our imams in the mosque. They can mm-hmm. talk about mental health, make it become mainstream, something that they address. And you know, even if they address it once a week, uh, that would be something really helpful for for the elderly people to understand. Because sometimes that perspective they might take into consideration. Um, but I have seen it change because there's someone like my mother who. Um, has never ever mentioned any uh, mental health words in her life sometimes yeah. she'll talk to me and talk about oh so-and-so's depressed now and, and she uses the word depressed
0: yeah.
1: uh, or depression and, and that's become part of her vocabulary which I found quite interesting because yeah. you know that never happened and even like say my father he's 82 or something mm-hmm. and he is aware that I'm a psychiatrist, and he'll he'll ask me what I do and and what kind of people I work with and all of them things. So I think you can create an awareness, yeah. But I don't think anybody is really doing it in our communities. Mm-hmm. We've all we've all kind of just left it to one another, but nobody's actively talking about it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I genuinely think the media is a great thing, and, and I think for the uh, for the Caucasian people, the media has really really helped. Um, create awareness. So I think there needs to be that. And, and, and I,
2: I agree with um, Samina. I think one of the um, ways we broke down the barriers and, and somewhat kind of help with the with you know removing some of the stigma was when people who you look up to started saying, "Look, you know what? I've been through depression. I've been through severe depression and anxiety to the point where you know I was suicidal." So these were footballers. So someone like me who follows football, uh, yeah. football myself. Yeah. When I had people like, you know, Paul Mersens, I'm an Arsenal fan, you know, come out, talk about alcoholism and depression. I had, we know someone called Gary Speed. He was a Leeds United player. He was a um, Wales international, really loved by people of my generation. We really looked up to him as a good footballer, ended up sadly taking his life, you know, yeah. just spontaneously just was hiding away his his depression. and when when things like these come up and you start appreciating and respecting that, you know, mental health is something quite significant. Mm-hmm. A lot of work needs to be done about it. And it is a human thing. It can happen. It's not just, there's this. it's not something to, to hide away. But with the Asian community, we don't have any role models. We don't have any... film stars I don't know drama stars anyone really coming out and talking about things like that or any cricketers you know Pakistani cricketers or you know people that we generally would look up to Mm -hmm. and I think the other thing is is it's the same with the the, with the masajid as well you know um there's, I don't know how many months. I obviously read Masjid, for example, when I go to read Juma. Yeah. I cannot remember a single day, bear in mind my, my, my age, I'm older than, than Samina is, I'm older <laughs> than yourself. I cannot remember, I honestly cannot remember a single Juma khutbah or a single masjid um, after the dharas, after Zuhr prayers, for example, where the imam talked about mental, mental health. health i mm-hmm. cannot remember a single time that in might have attended hundreds of jumas through my through my lifetime um, we'll always talk about other wonderful things you know but mm-hmm. come on you know we need to educate especially through the masjid the, the amount of community members you know you will be able to engage you know uh, Especially yeah. the younger generation, but the older generation to some extent you can you can still educate them, you can still
0: yeah.
2: teach them about these these things that they don't don't yeah. really know about and but the especially the younger generation so we need we need psychiatrists you know qualified psychiatrists who want to talk about it or yeah. you know for example you know even mental health nurses you know from, from the women's side you know talking about mental health, especially for example you know postnatal depression you know mm-hmm. i know in, in in the community that that i've grown up in you know we've had women for example postnatally depressed really severe depression post- yeah. postnatal depression where the it almost gives the sadly gives the 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 the, the family uh, the mother-in-law maybe you know the husband side of the family an opportunity to beat her with a stick and say you know just you're just making this stuff up you just don't wow. want to look after the child or whatnot. and i've actually yes. you know experienced this in, in, in my lifetime and, yeah. and you know, uh, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think you know we need to look at what revenues we have. We need to look yeah. at our role models, whether it be the MP, whether it be the councillor, the imams. Number one, teach them first. You know, tell them yeah. what you know mental health is. Yeah. A, only then will it, you know, disseminate through through people, people of you know pivotal um, uh, pivotal people, um, what other people look up to and will listen to. Uh, yeah, understand. definitely.
0: I, I definitely believe that places like the Gurdwara, the temple, mm-hmm. the mosques, you know, universities, like people talking at universities and perhaps even collaborating with the mosques and with other religious places is is a very very good way of raising awareness about mental health and perhaps even creating a society about it at university because, you know, young, the younger generation are the future. And if they can find alternative ways of raising awareness, perhaps that will have like a rippling effect on, um, you know, their children, also with their parents and their families, and hopefully it creates a difference. So yeah, though I think all of those are really, really good ideas. And how do you think the pandemic in particular has affected people's mental health? <laughs> me as a doctor
1: we definitely saw a rise in the number of people that came to us with um, severe mental health problems yeah and often we found that their mental health problems had probably started before the pandemic but they had kind of their support systems in place so you know the GP surgery was open Mm -hmm. they had their friends they could see they could nip in to see family um, they could see their grandchildren and they Mm -hmm. were kind of like you know life was okay it was ticking along by and some of the anxieties or depression or the symptoms they had they managed and then I think the pandemic came and it wiped out everybody's support system um and that loneliness you know a lonely is a word a lot of my patients used to me used to describe how they feel to me and and loneliness you can't replace you know you can't find somebody for them Mm -hmm. um particularly if they're own or they've been recently widowed um and, and i think that all changed with the pandemic cuz nobody had anybody really it was just a telephone contact yeah um in people who were not technology smart they didn't even have that so they only had a phone call and mm-hmm. and we're all very busy and particularly if you're elderly and your children are working and yeah. you know if they've got childcare issues and, and and they can't speak to you every day um that can get really isolating so yeah. i think you know often we you, these were people who probably had some background mental health problems, and then it kind of came to the surface when the pandemic hit because of losing all their support system. Mm -hmm. But I think in some cases, you know, this isolation, not being able to see um, your GP, and also things maybe weren't as fast as they were when everything was open so if you wanted to see your GP I know they were locked down so you'd have to ring uh, and get a telephone appointment so you might not have been able to see them face to face Mm -hmm. and that people weren't going to do that so I think there's been lots of things uh, but I do think it has led to a rise in cases and particularly we've definitely seen it i mean yeah i work in an inpatient ward at the moment and we never have any free beds there are people waiting to be admitted to a psychiatric bed Um, right.
0: that's how busy we are mm. Mm. so sadly um, mm. and and so what's we, it and what's it like in bradford what's, it, what's it? um
2: i think the cases in in bradford you know were quite high uh you know uh, as as the rest of the United Kingdom at one point they were really quite high you know we were really um, in Bradford Royal Infirmary there were not very many uh, beds available Mm -hmm. we were struggling with the uh, machines that you know help you with your uh, respiration you know breathing apparatus and so forth I think it's it's one of those things where it's it's almost like being chased by someone, you know, someone who's trying to take your life. That's essentially what COVID has been like for a lot of people.
0: Mm-hmm. You
2: can't see it, you know, you don't know who's got it. It's almost yeah. like this silent killer who could pass on from one person to another person. You can imagine the kind of anxiety this has mm. been causing people. A lot of people are already quite generally a little bit anxious and yeah. little bit lower in mood. And if you take away their social structure and we are, you know, beings of, of, of societal interaction, take away all their social structures and tell them that something's coming for you, something's after you, something's trying to kill you. We don't know how, you know, you, you don't know how you're going to get it. You don't know who's got it. You don't know who is going to jump from, yeah. from one person to another person. Can you imagine the kind of anxiety that it yeah, has caused people? And, yeah. and the way I look at it is we, you know, We'll, we've only just seen the, the, the tip of the iceberg of, of the kind of mental health issues mm. that this is going to cause. It's going to cause a lot of people post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, there's going to be a whole generation of people who are going to suffer with anxiety, mood-related uh, related disorders, and it's, it's, had its, it's had its impact. And you know, like I say, a year and a half of this now, um, it's, it's certainly going to leave a devastating effect on the, on the mind. of hundreds of thousands of people throughout the uk and the world
0: yeah definitely and i think the asian community in particular they've got a very collectivist nature so like families are always coming over whether you're going to your grandma's house or your cousins are coming over and obviously all of that stopped and then like you said there's this virus that's coming out to get them and they don't they have no knowledge about what this virus is what it does how it works what the symptoms are they're lost and that is automatically going to create a lot of anxiety and then not being able to see their family members as well that's going to make them you know increase their chances of getting into depression and yeah, it's, it, it's a really, really sad situation. I do agree with you that it's we've only seen the tip of the iceberg. I think we will only see the after effects once lockdown does completely lift and we're six months post where we are now. Just to kind of um, preempt people or just to kind of help people identify um, what it's like to have a mental illness. So let's say you do have a member of your family that you think is potentially suffering from, mental illness what would you say are are there any main signs main symptoms that they can identify and how can they help that family member or friend or person that's in their life
1: um I think it depends I mean you know within the mental health spectrum there's lots of different conditions but common things we see like depression and anxiety um they can manifest in different ways in people but mostly what we might start to see is that somebody might not be doing the things that they usually do so if somebody mm-hmm. say a young person is going to school or they're doing certain they used to enjoy playing football or playing the guitar and yeah. no longer they're not doing that so there's no motivation left anymore sometimes people appetite might change so they might be eating less some people yeah. might be eating more but generally people stop eating their sleep gets affected and um, mm-hmm. so they're not sleeping very well they might be more tearful. Um, they might just generally look quite flat in mood. So when I say flat, I mean they don't really have much expressions. Even if you're in a in a joyous moment, they won't be experiencing any joy from that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, some people, um, if they're anxious, they start might they start worrying about things that shouldn't really worry you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be something like um, you know, commonly what we found in um, um at the moment with lockdown going on in front of people had lots of health anxiety so they were worried either about their health so yeah. they were worried they had an actual physical health condition and even though the doctors told them there was no problem they still believed that there was a problem mm. um or they're worried about their loved one's health and that tends to keep them up at night they want to continuously talk about it they're looking on google about symptoms mm-hmm. um, they might have physical manifestations of anxiety so they might have heart palpitation they might be very sweaty dry mouth
0: yeah.
1: um constantly you know a bit restless and um, so that's what we can see worrying kind of things are um you know if somebody starts to say things about not wanting to be alive so yeah. even if they're like comments such as you know I wonder what it would be if I didn't wake up one day mm-hmm. that implies you know the intensity of what they're feeling that they've the thought is coming to them that they don't want to be here um so they're the common things that we see kind of symptoms we see um and if somebody is experiencing that I think as a family member or as a friend Mm -hmm. I think um to try and talk them about it um and I know that can be really difficult particularly if the person doesn't want to talk about it um yeah so but I think just knowing that you're there will be Mm -hmm. a sense of support for that person because often in that time and in that crisis period they probably don't want to reach out to anyone yeah um and will probably maybe actively push you away um Mm -hmm. I mean I don't know what were you like when you were at your height of anxiety Shazad. were you pushing Um, people away or
0: well I think I was very like you said my mental um my overwhelming thoughts became physical signs of anxiety Mm. um so it was like heart palpitations quite sweaty anxious um quite a lot of the time like and I think at the same time um not being able to carry out tasks in a set amount of time because I felt it was too pressurizing and it kind of really had an effect on my time management skills and then um, even though a task was particularly simple, um, or I used to find it particularly simple, now it became very overwhelming and I felt very demotivated to carry out the task. Mm. So things like that, I noticed when I, that's when my mental health started to decline, when I started suffering from anxiety and then it intensified. And then that's when I developed the physical signs, so the heart palpitations and headaches and just sweatiness. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and some, sometimes people might describe feeling like they're getting them panic
0: attacks. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I felt that a lot like I felt like I was having trouble breathing. Um, And it's really, it's really difficult to figure out what anxiety is and then what the COVID symptoms are, because sometimes when I'd have shortness of breath, or when I'd get really sweaty, and I felt like there was a a tight, I had a tight tight chest, I felt like, Oh, could I have COVID potentially, Mm. but really, it wasn't it was just anxiety from work or whatever it was that I was doing that was making me anxious so that's another thing like I noticed during the pandemic it's very hard to figure out what you're actually suffering from and what the physical symptoms are as a result of that and just to go back onto the point of how to be there for someone who is suffering from a mental health problem like Mutza, what kind of light can you shine on that
2: like like you said a lot of them can be treated um whether it be via medication I mean originally depending on how severe it is especially with depression and anxiety yeah um as doctors you know we try to give them coping mechanisms for example you mentioned the the the, the breathlessness you know feeling quite short of breath feeling yeah. like you know, your chest has become quite tight um so your your mind is is linked directly to your body and vice versa you know so when you have this um, you know um episode where you are feeling very anxious or low in mood, you know, it can manifest itself in the body as mm-hmm. well. appetite is one of the things that it will go straight away, you know, sleep and appetite. Yeah. Um, so you won't want to eat, regardless of how, how long you've not eaten for, you know, you won't have an appetite anymore. Um, and it's the same with um, sleep as well. You will not be able to sleep or you'll wake up really early in the morning and that exas- exacerbates and makes things worse. It's almost like a, a perpetual cycle, but yeah. just simple things like being able to breathe, being able to know when when you know you're feeling at your lowest to be able to put things into perspective and sometimes just having that someone to talk to you know and to mm. to kind of open up to a little bit can 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 be so 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 much easier and you know I think it is a hallmark of seeing a family member just behaving slightly different and opening up to them and letting them know look this is not something to be embarrassed about you know you can get some young people during exam times for example becoming really really anxious and and, and worried and concerned about things and almost isolating themselves, you know, thinking are they going to pass the exams, are they going to fail the exams and just letting them know, look, you're not the only one who's feeling like this, there are other people who are feeling like this. So there's always coping mechanisms. Um, And there's, for example, if you go to websites such as um, uh, Mind UK, Mm -hmm. you can actually go on them websites and there are some really, really good links. Um, So, for example, if you type out anxiety. I'll, I'll tell you when an anxiety attack comes on what kind of things to do yeah. uh, I've t- talked to you about depression as well for, if, for example if you're feeling low in mood what kind of things to do um, you know one of the things is almost fighting something that we call anhedonia so a person mm. becomes anhedonic you know the kind of things that they normally enjoy doing yeah. they stop enjoy doing so they may yeah. for example like fishing for example or might like taking a dog for a walk or just like I don't know like watching football or whatever they stop doing these kind of things so one of the ways you you kind of, it's kind of go against that, you know, where, where your depression is wanting to isolate you. Mm-hmm. What you do is you do the opposite and you go for walks, you know, mm-hmm. you go for a long, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, kind of remain active and things like that. So there's really small steps, but, you know, it's a really good good website. And, and like I said, you know, reaching out for that, for that help and, and trying to understand how to, how to counteract uh, the behavioral issues that, that are related with depression, anxiety, and so forth.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think with me in my household, when I I made my family aware that I was suffering from anxiety, um, I kind of gave them tools on how to help me. So and so things that might have been particularly overwhelming. So if I needed to get somewhere by 9 p.m., uh, they'd make sure that I'd set off by 8 20 whether they were giving me a lift somewhere so then even little things like that so then I wasn't too stressed about getting there on time or making sure that I would make sure that sometimes my my gym wear was out before like I went to the gym in the morning and they'd help me out with that by doing the laundry or whatever it was little things around the house oh, can really yeah. make a difference to helping someone in their day-to-day life when they are suffering from anxiety or whether that be depression and I think it's it's really right just to reiterate what you were saying about talking to someone whether that be getting professional help or a friend that you can trust or a family member but what do you think can what do you think family members and friends can do to help that one person suffering
1: I think that as a friend I mean Mm -hmm. if any of my friends ever are having a difficult time and I've always found that people who are quite depressed yeah. um particularly might not want to talk about it so often I might send an email or I might send them a text just letting them know that I'm here if they ever wanted to talk yeah or you know I might send them something funny like a meme or an article or something so kind of keeping in touch with them but not kind of asking them directly because that mm-hmm. can be quite exposing for them um, yeah. so, and so and, and knowing that that you're there but they don't have to talk about their depression or their anxiety I think that's really helpful for someone um people who have anxieties i mean i found if they've got anxiety and they've got worries they are more generally more want to talk about some of their anxieties because it's it's helpful for them to go through it with somebody and yeah. um, and often i find that just listening to them and maybe trying to talk through their worries and their concerns and and, and try to figure out what's overwhelming them and maybe coming uh, to some sort of you know a plan with them and that that I found quite helpful for people yeah. with anxiety so um, and and just being there you know going out for a walk Um yeah uh, maybe they want to go shopping so you know I think it's important to realize that 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 person is still there just because they've got depression or anxiety doesn't make them any less of a person. They might no. still want to do things. They still might want to talk about other things and their mental health um, condition. And, and, and I think that's what sometimes people forget, that once you're labelled and you've got depression or anxiety or psychosis, all of a sudden you've stopped existing as a person and people just see you as this condition. So it's really important to try and um, give them a glimpse of what their life is was like and and kind of show them that and do normal things with them as much as they allow you to Uh, but also important to give them space as well um, yeah yeah to, to aid their recovery and it might be different for different people so um you know sometimes it's just working out what works well for this person and if you are worried about them um sometimes they might be a friend um, that doesn't have any experience with mental health, and and you're trying to help someone who's got mental health problems. Um, you know, there's lots of information on the NHS website. There's lots of um, there's a 24 hour Samaritan helpline that you can call just to speak to somebody, and it might not be about you. It might be about a friend, yeah. but sometimes they can give you some objective advice. And um, there's charities like Rethink, there's Mind, lots of useful information that you could read to help you support a loved one so yeah i would definitely you know if you are worried about someone is is to is to read upon what condition they might have and how you can help them Um, yeah, so I think there's lots of lots of information out there. It's just being able to access it. And if if you think the person's life is in danger, or you're worried about them. I think the first thing would be to contact the GP yeah. um, and and seek support. Or if it's a child, you know, get in touch with their parents if you're worried about them. But definitely, and and you know, don't don't wait to get that support. Yeah, because if it's just a phone call and you're reassured and people know that you're worried about somebody sometimes it's just about raising awareness as mm-hmm, well mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. and it really does make a difference it really does make a difference but yeah um just to kind of end on a on an educational note do you guys have any last words of advice that you'd like to give to people who p- potentially are going through abuse um or are suffering from a mental health condition um do you have anything You'd like to say to them what
1: is that I'm gonna let you speak because I feel like I have spoken <laughs> a lot so I'll let you lead on that one yeah I
2: mean to, just to start with um talk to someone who you know um someone who you can confide in someone who's close to you you know that's always a good good place to start with usually what that kind of gives you a little bit of encouragement to to seek help there's always help available out there you know and if you don't know where to go just start with your general practitioner start with your gp you know they'll be able to direct you somewhere um especially when it comes to like things like mental health you know we have different pathways that we would we would put you on to uh depending on you know exactly um what kind of mental health you know you're suffering with certainly but i think one of the things one of the things if you are someone who is Suffering with with mental health and, and depression, you know, confide in someone who's close to you, confide in a friend and so forth. You know, for example, during the pandemic, I've had a friend who not only lost his job but also became homeless as well. And this was like towards the beginning of the pandemic. And I knew he was going to go through the toughest moments of his life, you know. So not only did I just help him, you know, from a mental health point of view, financially, I tried to help him as much as I could, but I, I stayed there for him. And I think like Samina was saying, I didn't always ring him just to ask him about his mental health, just ring him say what would been up to what kind of things yeah. are you doing that was my way of saying you know why now how are you getting on uh, without saying to him well how are you getting on from a mental health point of view um and you know like i said you know there's always light at the end of the tunnel um you know mm-hmm. a year and a half just almost well just over a year after you know he went through his you know um this what we call the adjustment disorder you know he's he's doing so much better now you know he has a job he has a place of his own there's always light at the end of a tunnel, but you know, the initial place to start off with is always talk to someone, confide in someone. Don't keep it, don't keep it locked up because that perpetuates, makes things worse. Open yeah. up to someone, someone who's close to you, someone who's who you know will respond to you in a positive way. And if you've got no one, you've always got organizations out there like some of the ones that, that we've already mentioned. Turn to your GP, turn to these organizations, call someone, talk to someone, and take it from there.
0: Mm, great. Great. Well, I just want to say a massive thank you. Thank you both for sharing your pearls of wisdom and your experiences through your journey into medicine and into psychiatry. I've really learned a lot just by listening in and having a conversation with you both. Um so yeah, thank you. I won't hold you anymore during your Monday evening. Um, And and just thank you for being on here. And this I'm sure will make a difference and a lot of people listening in will resonate with it. I'm sure I'm gonna get a lot of comments and a lot of people that are coming in that will be talking about or wanting to hear more about what we've been talking about today. Thank you so much Shazad, it's been
1: an honor and we hope that being here will create more awareness about mental health, health in our Asian community and it's really really important so thank you for making the time to do this podcast as well thank you, thank
2: you for allowing me uh, to give me your opportunity and the platform as well to just air some some of the opinions and like I said small little small little steps you know do go a long long way
0: Well, that was one of the most interesting conversations that I've had on the podcast so far. I hope you've learnt as much as I have through listening to Samina and Muttizar. Just to reiterate what they were saying, if you are someone who is suffering from a mental health issue, or if you know somebody who is, please reach out and get the help that you deserve. Talking about your issues don't make you a burden, nor does it make you weak. As they always say, a problem shared is a problem halved. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the podcast.